and welcome to another episode of Mad Get Radio, episode number eight. I'm here tonight with two lovely guests. We have Gareth Barn of ETC fame, and we have the newest addition to the Wildling family, Martin. And we've also got, as ever, the Bonnie to my Clyde, Paul. What's going on, guys? Hope everyone's good. Very well, thank you. Hello, thank you. So on tonight's episode, what we're going to be doing is talking about all things list-related, and we've got a number of topics to get through tonight. But before I go any further, I just want to ask our lovely guests to introduce themselves to our lovely listeners. So if we start with Gareth. Yeah, hello guys. Thanks for having me on the uh, show. So yeah, I'm Gareth. I am from New Zealand, as you can probably tell by my terrible accent. Um, I moved to the UK about three years ago, and that's when I picked up Warhammer. So I haven't actually been playing for very long. But quite a large club and, and I guess quite naturally sort of moved into tournaments and stuff and so got a lot of games in um, over a relatively short period of time. Uh, started playing a lot of tournaments, moved up the rankings slowly. Uh, and then so last year I went to ETC with Team New Zealand and yeah, just enjoying playing and uh, yeah, quite I, I guess a tournament focused player but I, I do enjoy my uh, club games. I mostly play UD what was Tomb Kings, and I play a bit of Orcs and Goblins on the side um, and have a VC army, but don't play it too much. Yeah, because nobody yeah. plays Orcs and Goblins competitively. No, no. <laughs> precisely. <laughs> so what club are you a member of, Gareth? Um, the London Wargaming Guild. We had the pleasure of getting pumped off them at uh, Midlands, if I remember right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Martin, how about yourself? Well, well, thank you, first of all, to for having me here. Uh, you will notice that my accent is quite strange. So I'm from Argentina originally, but I've been living in Spain since a long time ago. So I started playing this thing, well, the old game in fifth edition. I think it was in 97, 98, so it's probably 20 years ago. Um, a friend of mine from school introduced me to the game and I started playing with uh, good elves at the time um, then I bought a small army of uh, chaos dwarves um, then I moved to Spain and started playing with the orcs and goblins because I always found them lovely and funny and easier to play than the good elves <laughs> uh, but I play like a, a year or so um, when I started a uni I had to stop and I came back like three years ago so now I have the Sylvan Elves, the Orcs and Goblins and a brand new Empire of Sunstall Army yeah yeah the badasses <laughs> good one awesome well thank you guys for coming on um so, Gareth, you are the vice captain on Scotland's ETC team this year. Yeah, so I'm uh, list list coach and um, statistics boy, all round looking boy um, this year. So, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, very close to the previous captain and uh, this year's captain, um, and was asked fairly early on to come on board and help. Um, and because at the time. I wasn't sure that New Zealand was coming again this year, so I jumped at the opportunity. Um, and, uh, yeah, here I am, stuck with you boys. Yeah. Yes. So you're the ideal man to have on the show to talk about all things lists. 
Well, I mean, I don't know about that, but we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> so, before we go any further, um, I thought what we could do... Well, first off, how are you doing, Paul? I'm good, man. I don't want you to feel left out. No, oh, man. People know me. I'm old news. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you guys finding 2.0? Gareth, how about you? How are you finding it so far? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I know a lot of people are a bit salty about all the changes. Um, I guess I'm not one of those people. I've, um, I've, yeah, I've always tended to focus on, or tried to focus on the, on the good side of changes, which is, you know, you get to hunt out the fun stuff to play in lists and you get to use, yeah, maybe some units that have been sitting in your cupboard for five years or something like that and get to finally dust them off and bring them out. Um, but I find the game quite balanced as well. Um, there's, you know, there's some annoying parts to it that I would, I would personally change. Um, you know, I think the, the main one would be the, the cards for magic. Oh yeah, but, no, um, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're all right. They make the, the magic phases pretty consistent, but you don't have those massive swings you used to, but, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like a weird mechanic to me, but, uh, you know, I'm sure if it's, uh, in the, in the name of balance, <laughs> as all things it are. Is we- it is weird, but yeah. I thought that it was going to be more annoyed about that, but it's okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, that it's, long. it's fine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So how about you, Martin? How are you feel finding it now? You've had a couple of games under your belt. Yeah. Uh, well, 2.0 for me is more balanced, and the rules are solid. So yeah, I'm I'm liking the rules. Uh, the books, what was OP before, now is not that anymore, and some changes. But yeah, no. Uh, basically, it's okay. I like it. Yeah, I think it's the best rules that we have for these two years right now. Well, that's a good statement. I think so, yeah. The magic is great. I, I love the change of the magic. I'm not so fond of the magic card, but yeah, you get used to it. Cool. Paul, any changes in your opinion? No, not really. I'm still enjoying it. Certainly say the magic phase is... It's definitely injected a lot of new opportunities with my lists. I feel it's certainly something I don't feel I can leave behind in my lists. Yeah. Um, so I really like it from that point of view. Certain units that I didn't like in the beginning, I'd say that for all that I still don't like them as much as I did, they've definitely got a new role in the army, so they do have their use. It's just a case of getting used to the stuff, really. And seeing Dan do well in the recent tournament with a Warriors list is quite encouraging as well, so... Nice. Yeah, Dan did really well. We'll be getting Dan on in a couple of weeks' time to have a chat, and he'll, I'm no doubt he'll give us some warrior secrets. Very knowledgeable guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, because uh, the new edition's out, and we're just about to start getting into tournament season, Paul and I thought that the main idea behind this episode could be talking about lists. Part of this has also come off of Slam Radio, because they recently did a show where they talked about lists and whether it all matters or not. So we're hoping that our guests can enlighten us a little, as uh, knobs, and <laughs> lead us on the path to uh, gaming glory through a well-crafted list or two. So first off, I just wanted to ask you guys, do you guys have like a certain approach when you're writing a list? Or do you, I don't know, start with one section of the book and work your way back? Or... Is it more just a, I want this list to do this thing and I'm going to craft everything around it? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I have I have two approaches to writing lists. The the first one is probably most of the time, um, and it's it's I guess like an iterative 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 approach. So you know, I have a standard stable list 
for most of 1.3, for example, I had a, a list of a UD list that you know was pretty standard. It had the Porter Nepregard and the unit of Shabti and the you know fairly standard wizard. Um, oh, that and then I guess just yeah, yeah. And then just from from taking notes after each game, um, which I think is something that everyone should be doing if they want to improve. Um, you know, tracking each game, and you just use those notes to then make small tweaks. And you just, I guess, my aim with those edits is to never change more than you know maybe 10 percent of a list at any one time and then you test it try it edit it which i guess is how i sort of develop my list across a season of play the other way of course is you know when you get an opportunity like we currently do where the books have changed a lot um and that's typically i'll, I'll try to identify something that's that's broken, either from a playstyle point or just from a straight unit point. Um, and then you build around that. So, you know, I mean, the the immediately, obviously broken thing in the UD when it first came out. Um, the guard. The, sorry, what was that? The guard, the sepulchre guard. Well, the, the equivalent, the skeleton with the ham, the little weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I mean, the thing that jumped out at me was the scarab swarms. Um, oh. No, they're not broken at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's 300 points for 36 poison attacks. With what? Distract oh, what? <laughs> uh, you can make them ambush from anywhere on the table. Uh, and, yeah, you can get all of those attacks into a 40 mil fo- front. So, yeah, they I saw those and that was, that was the immediate, um, okay, so let's build a wrist list around having two units of six Scarab Swords. Wow. And, you know, so you build from that. So I guess that's that's how you start, or for me, that's how I start a list in, um, in a new edition. Or, you know, if I'm changing my playstyle or changing an army, yeah, that's how I that's how I started. Okay, so um, you're telling us all to be dirty bastards. Is that what you're saying? No, not necessarily. I mean, the key, I think, is, is to know yourself as a player, so know your playstyle, and then build around that. So, you know... Uh, there's no point trying to play fast moving avoidance lists if you don't enjoy it or you're just not good at it because you know you'll you'll just not perform as well as you should whereas if you're somebody who just loves to run up the guts then you know you build lists around that and then try to make those work I think okay so what kind of play style do you tend to favor then I mean because I was taking UD to ETC last year for the majority of last year I played a fairly um, I mean, I guess like the undead themselves, fairly slow, but uh, very hard. List <laughs> they held onto points very well, um, and yeah, could could be almost anything in combat, but um, wasn't fast. You know, like it had movement four infantry, movement six monstrous infantry, and it was um, yeah, not uh, not a subtle list is what I would say. Okay, okay, cool. So, what about yourself, Martin? Well. I have three approaches. Two of them are close, are related, but the first one I have an idea and I start building with the characters and the general mostly. And I put a lot of points there and then I have to surround surround them with the rest of the units. The second approach is I want to play a unit, so I try to build a list that helps that unit to perform well or at least to be successful in in one of the roles 
And the third one is that I just painted that unit and I want to use it. <laughs> That's as good a uh, reason as any. Yeah, I'm really stubborn on that. So <laughs> even if that, that unit is awful, I need to play it because it's just painted. <laughs> <laughs> but nearly painted stuff never does anything. Straight, uh, straight. No, yeah, no, I have painted a lot of stuff that are crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't matter because sometimes I make it work, sometimes it, I don't, but eh, it's okay. What about you, Paul? I think it's, it's funny, like um, what Martin was saying there about kind of initially building rounds a particular character. Like, I generally like running very character light lists. Uh, I prefer having more units on the table, so I suppose that's quite uncharacteristic for a Warriors player. Um, <laughs> so, I like really bringing, if we're talking about lists for tournaments, really I like just to bring things that I'm familiar with and I know what they're like on the table and I know their limitations. Beyond that, I really just try and build something that's as balanced as possible, give myself as many options while I'm playing. So, having some fast, hard-hitting stuff that can deal with monsters, other stuff that's maybe a little slower but can grind. Like I say, I don't really build around characters, per se. Um, now, with the changes to magic, I think really most of my lists, if I do bring characters, it's really just a cheap general that's a wizard and that has some casting um, ability to him. But, yeah, I don't really know like what um, Gareth kind of mentioned, like player style and stuff. Like I, I wouldn't actually know what my player style is. I mean, when you play Warriors, you're kind of shoehorned into <laughs> attack. <laughs> Go forward, <laughs> <laughs> so you're, yeah, that's kind of like made up for you. It's really just a case of how you want to achieve that. Do you go monster heavy or do you bring a lot of cav? I think cav now in the game is a lot better, and I think that's sort of somewhat testament to Dan's success at the Masters. Hmm. Um, it's funny, Gareth, you mentioned about taking notes during games and stuff, and how that helps to develop. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Are you going <laughs> to? When we had siege. I was like walking about just watching the games and stuff, and I noticed that Tim was taking notes. And I was like, holy shit, that guy's taking notes. That guy's hardcore. He knows, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> we also take the piss out of Ed, because Ed has a little notebook where he writes down <laughs> little notes after games and that. And we can always Ooh. tell when something's happening when Ed gets the notebook out and starts writing. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about you, Andrew? How do you, how do you approach the lists? Yeah, I'm weird, I think, um, because I always start with core. And I like, I don't know if I'm a victim of army in that sense, that I think that core is always the, the bit of the army that you've really got to make work for you. So I always try and build my core around what I want the rest of the army to do so that it's in some way contributing. And whether that's simply like, like a bunker for a wizard or, um, you know, some armies can pull some skirmishing uh, shenanigans and stuff like that as long as it's contributing towards what you want the list to do. So I normally start off with the core, uh, I try and get it as close to the cutoff as possible, and then kind of go from there. But, I mean, Paul and I have talked about this in the past, that Empire's hard because with your 25% core, um, I mean, that's a massive chunk of your army. So a lot of the time, the rest of your army is actually kind of dictated, uh, depending on how you load out your core. So that's the way I go. But I don't know yeah, if, if I'm... There are good options mind. on the core for the Empire, so it's not that complicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because just now, obviously, light infantry um, are a lot better when they're used in synergy with the parent units. Yeah. So my core just now is consisting of 35 spear, 
with full command for the parent, two wings of 15 crossbows, a 10-man skirmishing state militia unit as a bunker if I need it, and a five-man electoral calf unit just for mobile objective grabbing. Yeah. So all of those components are contributing in some way to the what I want the list to do. So I normally just start there and then work out. And I'm a bit like Paul. Like I hate, again, I think I'm a victim of the army though. I hate having expensive characters because I've played too many games where something's gone wrong and you've lost a unit which has an expensive character in it. And then instead of losing 500 points, you've lost 1,000 points. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I always try and keep my characters kind of cheap and cheerful, but effective in the role that I want them to do. I mean, on, on that note, like I think one important thing to focus on that oh, you know, certainly I, I focus on when trying to build lists is to reduce uh, the variance that you get so like how reliant the list is on, on good dice rolls and right. I think characters uh, can suffer from that because you pay you know say 600 points for a character and it's got 5 attacks say or 4 attacks and it's you know you don't have to be have particularly bad dice to suddenly miss, you know, three of those four attacks, and then you've got yeah. a six hundred point unit that's maybe doing one wound in a round of combat. Whereas a six hundred point unit with say thirty attacks or forty attacks is going to stick a lot closer to average, simply because you're rolling more dice. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you guys try and when you're making your list, do you have an idea in mind as what you want the overall theme of that list to be? For example, like, do you make like shooting lists or combat lists, or do you try and take in things like the objectives more into account when you're writing, or is it a combination of both of those things? Yeah, like I think it's important to not waste phases, so I would I, I would try to avoid ever writing a list. And again, sorry to the warriors out there that would say never have shooting because it feels like you've wasted a resource and that you have a phase in which you can shoot. Um, but that being said, uh, I guess I don't focus too much on any one phase. Um, I just try to make sure that there's a fair bit of balance. Okay. See, that's something I always, like in the past, I've always done. I've always tried to make really balanced kind of combined arms lists so that I can compete against just about anything. But increasingly I've found that although you can compete, there's some lists that will just walk all over you because they yeah. do something very well in one phase that you just can't you know, come up against. Yeah. So more and more, I've been trying to go more skewed. But yeah, that I mean, depends if the is the tournament is in single tournament or the team tournament, because in the team tournament you have a role and you can avoid a particular list that m- makes damage to yours. So yeah, maybe you can do it better, but on individual tournament, I think that you kind of need to play in all the faces. Yeah, let's uh, let's keep the, the tournament side to one side just now because that's something that I want to come back to in a wee minute. But Paul, like you were saying, that you quite like the kind of balanced list that can do everything. Yeah, for sure. So having some speed, like I say, I think is really important. So just now I'm running like Feldrakes knights, chosen knights. Or I just feel that gives so much uh, maneuverability and gives you the option to close your opponent down to get into combat more quickly, which is important for my army. Um, but also having multiple scorers, um, I think, is really important. And certainly mobile scorers, I think it just makes life a lot easier, um, especially when you get into turn four of the game and you start thinking about trying to win the secondary. And I think chaff as well. I think in the beginning when I was writing lists, that was one of the, the big problems that I just wasn't bringing enough. And I think, I mean, just now I always bring four units of chaff 
um, just because it's just so indispensable. Mm, especially um, for your army. Yeah, just for setting up charges and going after you know skirmishers and getting rid of stuff, get you know out of the way. I mean, I'd normally run two units of fallen, and they're kind of my designated anti-chaff unit, and then I'll bring a couple of units of dogs just because they're cheap and they're perfect redirectors. They're insignificant, so it's not. I don't have to worry they get shot off. Not going to cause any problems. So I think kind of components like that I think are very important, and I think you know that only comes with experience and. Certainly, I think the movement phase in the game is, is probably the hardest part to get right. I think that's yes. um, only comes with practice. Yeah, and also deployment. Yeah, yeah. that's the second hardest part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what about you guys? Do you have any like go-to units that you that, like all, are always in your lists? I mean, for me, I think um, my my wizard setup is always very similar and has been in top like all the way through uh, at least all through one point three and. For the last year or so, oh, and that's that he's pretty—he's basically always the same. And part of that is that UD—you have to have a wizard um, until sure. 2.0. Actually, you know, we can now get away without it. But um, yeah, up until this point, we've always had to have a wizard, and you know, that's not an option. It, you actually have to have one. So he hasn't really changed. He's been the same basically all the way through. And part of that was that it was a very bent item in 1.3, or for the dead. I don't know that I ever played a UD list that didn't have it in it. Um, so good though. Yeah, I mean, why would you not take exactly, it? Exactly, right? yeah. So that was, you know, like some little elements like that, which I consider almost unimportant, don't change. And then I just have lists, uh, you know, units that I think are particularly good. So I, it's very rare that I take a list without uh, Shabti in it because I think they're very good. They're quite fast um, and they can beat a lot of things in combat. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely have favorites. I, I try to change it up, uh, you know, quite regularly, but, uh, yeah. Okay, what about you, Martin? Any units that are always in the list? Yeah, uh, for the orcs, the spider is a must. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, I always yeah, have at least one Gargantula or Arachnadog or whatever. Um, for the Empire, I think that the the state militia, no, the, yeah, the state militia probably, and also the, the Empire Guard. How's, what's the name now? Oh, the Imperial the, Guard. The, yeah, the yeah. Guard. Uh, well, the good elves, the Silvan elves, archers, a lot of them. <laughs> That's surprising. And the cool and the wild hunters, yeah. yeah. I do like wild hunters, they're cool. I know what your go-to list or unit is, Andrew. Chickens! Uh, <laughs> your new favorite. Yeah, the chicken too, yes. I was actually going to say writer. Uh, writer, good uh, as well. Yeah, never leave home without writer. You know, bring up the writers and stuff, I think that that comes back to that point you had before about you're trying to skew lists. And I think writers are a good example of that is that probably less so now, but certainly in uh, earlier versions, I think there was a lot of value in skewing a list massively. And, you know, the, the empire writers list that was floating around for a while is a good example of that. And I think, <laughs> Curse uh, <you> Felix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause you the, um, <laughs> you know, the entire feast herds list that yeah. create, you know, made famous and, and did extremely well with is another example. And I think if there is a good unit that's probably underpriced, which I think both writers and centaurs were, um, blasphemy. Of course. Um, <laughs> you know, like there is certainly a strong argument to be made that if, if, if your playstyle can handle it, like if you're good in the movement phase, then yeah, just go all out. Well, that's, that's that leads us in a good point. Like how much does all this actually matter? Because, uh, for when Slamnat discussed this, for example, Raf was of the, persuasion that it doesn't actually matter that much because no matter how good your list is it's still 
you know, the player that controls at the end of the day. So a good example of this is actually uh, the Midlands team event, where there were an ungodly amount of zombie dragon lists, which Chris Mintz mm-hmm. had made famous in the US <laughs> and the EDC. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was maybe two or three players at, at the Mids teams event who did well with that list, but the majority didn't. I, I guess it's simply because <coughs> they took the cookie cutter list, but they didn't actually appreciate you know, how to use it and they didn't have the experience in how to use it. So how much do you think this all is for naught in many ways? And it all just comes down to player skill. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrassingly weigh in on this one because uh, <laughs> I was one of those people. Um, oh, did you actually? <laughs> yeah, I had to one. Instantly regretting this. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I can, I can save you here. Um, our club is called the the Dragons, so we're the London Warhammer Guild, and our club, you know, our team is the Dragons. Um, and so, I was uh, in the process of um, like changing jobs and and uh, looking at houses and stuff. Um, but so I wasn't really organizing the team or anything like that, but the, the guys who were decided that we were going to take all dragons. So every, every list was going to have our dragon in it, um, to live up to our name. And obviously I play UD and, uh, orcs and goblins. So I was like, Oh, it's cool. I'll take orcs and goblins. I'll take a couple of widens. And they were like, no, that's not a dragon. An idiot. <laughs> so yeah, I basically got co-opted into, uh, literally buying a zombie dragon model and then I used to be fair I used my UG models so it was just the zombie dragon that I had to buy but um, I, I don't know where, where you draw the line in uh, in terms of doing well with it but I, I did pretty well I mean I think I got 78 points yeah, you got more than me so you're doing well <laughs> yeah and our team, our team got uh, second or third I can't remember so you know we did okay but um, yeah I was one of those bandwagoners <laughs> I think, yeah. because I play an undead army anyway I think maybe you know like I understand it a little bit um, and I got some games in beforehand but yeah I was I was uh, you know I'll hold my hand up I was a bandwagon <laughs> but then again like you're obviously you know very experienced player you're obviously a good player because you play for Scotland so you must be <laughs> so like how much does the fact that you know you're you've got that experience how much did that help you and obviously you know playing undead as well that helps a, a massive amount when you're yeah sent behind a vampire army in particular i think it is i mean you know sadly whether you were a good or a strong player or a weaker player is is very telling and, and very important and i mean you know someone like craig johnson or, or mikey newman you could give them just about any list like anyone could write them a list and they would do pretty well with it mm. um, oh, yeah, great. yeah you know like i think that's just you can beat around the bush, but at the end of the day, I think that is just the case. Um, and, and same for like Raf and, and people like that. But there's a, I think one of the really important elements with any list, um, any, any player is to play the same list a lot of times. Cause I think that's when you start getting the real, you know, you get that extra 10%, that extra 5% and out of, out of both yourself and a list is that when you've played it a lot of times. And I think Felix is a good example of that, the, the captain of Scotland in that. You know, he's a he's a massive nerd and he's obsessive and weird. <laughs> Last year, he essentially just played one list for an entire year, which most people would just find incredibly boring. And, you know, he went from, I think, I did the list analysis for the Masters recently because I, um, I wasn't able to go. Um, so I said, I'll do the analysis. And, you know, what I said about Felix there was that he, he went from sort of like mid-table, like pretty, like a reasonable player, like above average, certainly, but, uh, you know, not, not top scorer to like an actual, you know, like just outside the podiums and, and then podiuming and stuff, um, over the course of a year. And I think that was largely due to just obsessively playing one list. And it just, it teaches you a lot, I think. And you then become very good with that list in particular. 
That's a good point. Martin, I heard you that, that you were agreeing with all that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, also, I think that a list uh, becomes famous because of the player, not just because of the list. Mm. And you can get really good results with the list from someone else, but you need to practice a lot. Uh, for example, the Pisan list from the Equitane that uh, last ETC, there was a lot of guys yeah. with that list and they weren't getting really good results because it's not that easy to to control that kind of that type of list yeah but uh but certain units of course i use a lot the goblin unit from chai hammer with all the shade gates and the battle standard beer there and it's amazing it's a trap yeah. it's a trap list but once you know that list that, that unit is going to do that you avoid it so whatever and um, you need to if i create that list i know how to if someone puts a counter or avoid that how to countermeasure it but if it's not my list probably i'm i'm not aware how to do that and um, um, yeah it's it depends a lot of the player and the practice that you have oh good point. yeah no i agree with that yeah what about you paul what do you think I think it really does just come down to experience and I think when you're playing someone that you know you can just feel that they're better than you it's it's not so much what their list is it's just the decisions that they make with the list and they know how to use it and when to kind of make the move and so make I think it move. really just yeah <laughs> think, why isn't he doing that why isn't he doing that and then you move on <laughs> oh shit so, um, yeah, I think it is really. I mean, to play devil's ad- advocate a little bit, I mean, I, I dare say, like, if you gave someone, like, the trashiest list, like, you know, I'm going to write you 4,500 points worth of dogs. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, you could be the best player in the world, but if you go up against a half decent, more balanced list, you're going to struggle. Yeah, you're not going to fit on the table. You've got on the table. So, I dare say that there probably is a balance somewhere, but I mean, it, it's probably 80% down to the quality of the player. I'm sure there's a point, yeah. Yeah. Um, talking about the worst list in the world, there um, for a long time at ETC, a lot of the countries they weren't able to field a full team, so they would talk about the uh, uh, you know the engineers list or the or the slave list, um, which was essentially this is back in the day when you didn't have to take. Um, I think I can't actually remember what the number is, but it's it's five percent or something like that. You know, you have to be within five percent of four thousand five hundred. But uh, back in the day. You would just take max core of slaves, Skaven slaves. So I think it was, I, I don't even know, like eight units of 60 slaves. Fucking hell. Um, My God. And then you would have one engineer. So one, uh, I think there were 45 points. Um, yeah. And that was your general. And so you'd have your general, max, your mini core, which was slaves. Um, and you could, you could essentially play that list from a different table. So you could... <laughs> you could have somebody's girlfriend come along to ETC as one of the players, and then <laughs> another person could play on the table. So, you know, say say it was my turn, so it was right next to me. And then all you have to do is you have to roll panic checks every now and then, and you just you flee combats so that you never have to roll dice for combats. And then you roll a panic check if anything goes off the board, and you could only ever lose by six hundred points or, or whatever it was. I can't. I mean, that's know, crazy. 
backward points were half the values. Yeah. So uh, I think that is actually officially the worst list in the world. But um, yeah, and I'm sure Craig could uh, not win with that. <laughs> I'm just picturing my girlfriend's face if I was to turn around and say, by the way, I, I need you to do me a favor. <laughs> we rats. Yeah. Stand in front of this table, please. <laughs> so before we go on to kind of shifting the focus towards like tournaments and prepping for tournaments, how much do the the secondary objectives come into your guys' minds when you're, when you're writing your lists now? Because I just remember that um, there was a... German ETC player who said this a couple of years ago and it's kind of gone it's been infamously retold over and over again that you know every list got to do something very well so it's got to um, you fly shoot or score I think is what he said mm-hmm. so how much do you guys take into account the, the secondary objectives because I know that I've personally played games where I've written a list which I think is you know pretty strong but um, I've lost games on the secondary because I haven't been able to compete depending on what the, the secondary objective is. So I'm just interested to see what others think of that. Because I know that, you know, now it's one of the, the bigger things that's going on in my head when I'm writing a list is will I be able to compete in all the secondary objectives no matter which one comes up? I think that's something that comes with experience. Like, I think for me, I primarily play for fun. And because I play Warriors, I want to kill things. <laughs> so I'm more happy to, you know, wipe out a unit on the other side of the table and then it'll play more yeah. often than not. But I think as I've played more games, you do appreciate the secondary more. So I think that's something that just comes with more experience. Okay. Martin, what about you? It's For me, it's quite important, but it depends on the army that I'm carrying. If I have the good elves, the silver elves, it's, uh, it's sometimes complicated with capture the flag or because of the MSU or the hold the, sand, the, hold the ground. But it's a big swing. I won a lot of games because of the secondary ones, and I lost a lot of games because of that. Yeah. So, not considering the tournaments, uh, if you play for fun, uh, probably I don't care. But uh, <laughs> it's quite important. Okay. I think it's quite important. And it's good that it's there because it, it changes the way that you create a list and you think ahead of the game. Gareth, do you want to weigh in on that one? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's the part that I, I've probably not got my head deep enough into yet. Um, and I think part of that comes from the armies that I play in that, you know, UD, it would be very rare for me to have minimum scoring, you know, only three units of scoring, say, or, or two units of scoring. Um, just because our good combat stuff is scoring our good core now is scoring you know i mean it's not uncommon for me to have a list that has you know six seven scoring units so i guess from that it sort of falls out of it naturally but um i think the 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 difference now is that you can't take and and i say we you know i can't take um i guess easy to kill scoring lists and and stuff like that you know before if they were fast you could just hide them but uh, i think it's a bit different now so it's all I would say is probably that I'm not quite uh, there yet. I need to I need to practice that element more, um, mm. just with mm-hmm. 2.0. But uh, yeah, I, it's you know you if you take a list that can't win the objectives at least half the time, then you're just going to lose. You know, it's it's yeah, and it's fine if you're just having fun. But uh, if the, if the goal is to win, then yeah, you have to take into account. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just or constantly amazed. Well, yeah, I'm I'm constantly amazed by, and I've I've got no excuse now. 
Um, I haven't played all these games, but like, there's games where I feel like I'm in complete control, and I feel that I'm just choosing units that I want to delete. And then I get we get to the end of the game, and you count up the score, and <laughs> then you get like a you know some bullshit like a twelve eight. And it's like mm-hmm. you're trying to work out how it's a twelve eight, and it's because they get the secondary. It's it's just such such a massive swing that yeah. I'm just that. Uh, that's probably the reason why I've started thinking about it more when I'm writing lists is because I'm fucking sick of getting to that point in the game, <laughs> <laughs> and then finding out some bastard, aka Nick, has like stolen. <laughs> <laughs> the, the swing is equivalent to seven hundred and fifty points, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's crazy. It's like a yeah, twenty five percent or so. Yeah, right. so you know, it's the equivalent of not taking core or something like that, probably. God, I wish I could not take core. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you can't use those points for anything else, yeah, that's true. That's true. So shifting the focus now, because tournament season's kicking off really as we speak. It's really this weekend that everything's starting to um, get up and running. How do you guys prepare for a tournament or an event? We've already talked about how you know. If you've got a list, um, maybe you should just practice that list over and over again, and then that's obviously going to be the list you take. But do you guys have any specific kind of almost rituals that you, you apply when you're getting ready for an event? Do you sacrifice any goats or anything like that? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> We're from New Zealand, aren't you, Gareth? So I would be dis- yeah, it's a sheep usually. Yeah, sheep. So. Yeah, they get it. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> Um, and it's not so much sacrificing it's something else but, uh, <laughs> whatever um, pleases yeah, the gods yeah, yeah whatever you know whatever makes them happy right? I'm doing it for them um, yeah what do I do what do I do um, I mean I've got like a very tight knit group of, of mates that I typically travel to and from tournaments so I guess the most important thing that I do usually when I'm going to a tournament is uh, wait an hour to, to an hour and a half for my friend Mel to turn up because he's always late. <laughs> and then, yeah, I don't know, I guess. Print out cards that somebody's forgotten. <laughs> uh, oh, you're that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Say that I'm going to leave work half an hour early and then sneak out an hour and a half early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a, there's a range of rituals. I would say. <laughs> what about you, Martin? Uh, a lot of practice, if I can. Um... I don't know. Uh, no, not particularly. I, I try to think the list ahead. Um, then, yeah, practice, practice, practice. But in the end, it depends who the, the your first mar- match because if it's too difficult and you lose like by a lot, uh, then all the preparation probably is not worth it. Mm. But I. I still show it. Um, you change the way that you see the the tournament. So probably you are not going to win. So have fun, and yeah. that's it. It's a game. See, that's really interesting because well, there's a couple of points I want to put up. I want to ask like, how much prep is too much prep? Because I I do think you can get to the stage where if you've if you've not got the Felix mindset then <laughs> you you can shag a list to death, and by the time you get there, you you almost hate the list, so it's, yeah. it's hard to get it yeah. to work for you. Um, but yeah. bef- before we get to that, um, just how you're saying about basically it all just comes down to that first game. I I would agree with you, and like I think like Mids was a good example for me where the results just didn't go my way day one, so it was 
it was more of a mental battle for me because mm. I just started doubting everything when, and I made really stupid mistakes when I should have just stuck to the game plan, which I'd play tested for months beforehand, but I didn't, and I kind of psyched myself out, which ended up really hurting me. But I don't know if this is just a, an experience thing as well, because if you look at Felix, when he went to the Masters, he had a fucking horrendous day one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. and he'll be the first to admit he had a fucking horrendous yeah, day yeah. one um, but he went home or he went back to the hotel sorry and he kind of sat himself down and gave himself a talking to and in the second game uh, sorry the second day he fucking pasted everyone hmm. Yeah. so how much of that is kind of an experience thing as well I mean I guess uh, now that you know and I think this is a very good thing now that we publish lists beforehand and you typically get your match up beforehand hmm. You know, the big thing I think is that you should never be going into your first matchup with any surprises. You, know, you mm. it's pretty easy to read the book that your opponent's playing beforehand and work out what everything in their list does, and then at least in your head work out how you're going to combat each thing, and you know, just have a, a pretty a pretty simple little game plan there. So um, I think in that sense, you know, that should be your mental model going into it. Yeah. Uh, and then, but you know, if it doesn't go your way, if it does go downhill. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I have much to offer there, other than that, I, it used to get to me a lot, and I think it doesn't anymore. Okay. Not so much anyway. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody gets salty in their heads and stuff, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I think I can come back a bit better now, and I think maybe that's just because I'm old. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I say old, old for the community. Um, <laughs> so getting getting, you know, I'm thirty now. God. Um, uh, that's all for you okay well it's old for the community as i said so i, I qualified that comment um you know and so i think i think it does help like you know you're just a bit you know you care less perhaps i don't know if that's the right yeah. way to say it but, um, yes what do you yes. think Paul? i'm in the half because gareth just called me old <laughs> all the community is fine <laughs> no i think uh for me i've only ever been to two tournaments I've only ever played in one tournament, both of which were the tournaments that we organized. Yeah. And I think because within our gaming group, it's still quite a young group. I mean, there's certain armies that aren't even represented. So we don't really get the experience playing against certain armies like Demon Legions or Undying Dynasties. So for me, going into a tournament, I always definitely study who I'm playing first. I look at their list, and if it's an army that I don't know, I'll go and I'll read the book and I'll try and work out what kind of matchups I'm going to be aiming for in my game one. And then hopefully that gets me into a good footing going into game two. Um, for me, like approaching a tournament, it's it's not so much about winning. It's about giving my opponent the best game that I can give them. Um, if I go into a game and I play really well, but I ultimately lose, but I still manage to pick up points, um, I'm going to be happy. And if I'm happy, then I'm going to be positive moving into the next games. So that's really my focus. Um, yeah. And I think that helps to kind of counteract what we were saying there about kind of when you do something stupid and you lose the game and you get frustrated and you can kind of go into your subsequent games being a little bit salty and yeah. uh, that kind of yeah. sours the whole experience. So yeah. I think, um, but that, I, I think that as well comes with practice. Like I think it can be quite frustrating when you know you're a better player than how your performance would suggest. And I think what you were saying, Andrew, about, you know, Felix at the Masters, I mean, he had the benefit of it being a two-day event. Yeah, very true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you do have that opportunity to kind of regroup. I think it's just um, going in with a positive mindset, as you say, Gareth, and 
just trying to play the best game you can and just remembering that it's a game yeah. sometimes it's just the dice <laughs> exactly. that fuck you over and there's nothing you can do about it and that can be equally frustrating but I think if you know that you're playing as well as you can play whatever level that is at then you're going to have a good time yeah. yeah you're sickeningly like a good sport fucking hate you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well that I think that's quite important because if you uh, if you go to a, a tournament that is not on your town or with your group, and you go like, oh, I'm the boss, and all of you are sacks. It's, uh, <laughs> dude, what are you doing? It's, all of you are sacks. <laughs> and then you lose. Like, what? All, all the dice, all the dice. No, no way. Yeah. No, but it's important to be nice and to be good at sportsmanship. So, yeah. Okay. Well, before we go on, um, going back to this idea that is 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 there a limit to how much prep you can do? How like how much prep is too much prep? Because obviously, Gareth, you've said that um, it's all about the prep, really, and that the more comfortable you are with the list, uh, the more points you can squeeze out of tight games. So I'm going to ask um, Martin and Paul that question because mm. I know Paul in particular likes to chop and change his list a lot. So I do. Do you think I like to run different stuff? Yeah. Do you think that gives you, I don't know, like more of a feel for the book overall, so that when you get to the tournament, you know exactly what you want, or do you think that comes in as a disadvantage as well? I think it can come as a disadvantage. I think it's, I think in a lot of situations, it's about what units kind of synergize and work well together, as opposed to individual things in and of themselves on the table. Right. I mean, I do that because, it, for me, it just keeps it interesting. And most of the games that we play are fun, relaxed games anyway. Um, but... <laughs> to you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to kill shit. I don't know. Where gonna... are the Spearmans, Andrew? <laughs> uh, those Spearmen are dead to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think if I was approaching a tournament, I, I mean, now like, we've got the Scottish Championships coming up in March. Like, I'm starting to really consider what I want to bring so I'm really trying to limit what changes I make to the list so the list that I've been running for the last few weeks that's kind of the backbone of what I'll probably take but it's just trying to get what units synergize well with one another and really just trying to focus on holding the list as much as possible Cool, I mean that's a good idea actually using the championship because we're all playing at the championship so we're about six weeks out Mm-hmm. So, uh, Martin, have you started thinking like, like yeah. end game, like what list you're thinking about taking to the championship? Yeah, yeah, but uh, my problem is that the army that I have most painted is the Sylvan Alps, so I haven't been playing with them in 1.3. Um, for me, it's, everything is like new, so I'm testing a lot of stuff. But I remember, for example, in 1.1, that I had a list. Uh, when I found it, I made a small changes, but mostly it's the same list every single time until you kind of know it and you know how to cover your, your weaknesses. But that also depends where you, where you are going because for the Scottish tournament, there are going to be a lot of people that we don't know, at least I don't, and I don't know what to expect. For the meta game, it's quite different. And it, that happens in the ETC, for example, that probably you are the best team or player in your country, but when you go outside, 
the meta is totally different. And you're like, oh, wait, they are not using pyromancy. So, and they have a lot of small scoring units. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> that yeah. changes a lot. Love the fact that you've used the word that Andrew hates repeatedly, the Martin. Well done. Andrew hates the word meta. <laughs> I don't, well, I do. I just think, I don't know. I think because I played like so many years in just like the local Falkirk club. Like this yeah. is like years and years ago. So we always used to think that if anyone said the word meta, that it would just be a knob. <laughs> but now, like, obviously, getting a ninth and playing more and more, and especially more competitively, like, it's the. I worst. love to think that there's a, a Falkirk meta. Oh, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's called Buckfast. <laughs> but I think that is like important, and it's it's interesting how much that factors in, especially within like a tournament setting. Like, the someone posted the all the Warriors lists from the Italian Masters this week, and they're all very similar. Yeah. That's it's really interesting, and it's yeah. none of their lists. I mean, they're somewhat similar to what Dan had. They were very character focused, calf heavy. Yeah. And obviously, that's quite effective right now, but there were just certain items, certain loadouts on characters that were quite different, and I think that is quite telling um, as to what works within their like home nation and what people are playing. Um, and I heard people commenting on Dan's list that he kind of he read the metal well in advance yeah. and kind of anticipated what people were likely to bring and so kind of built a strategy around that which is I mean that only comes with that level of experience because um, like what Martin was saying there about the Scottish GT I'm going to be in the same boat it's going to be loads of people there that I've never played before and I'm really looking forward to that playing a lot yeah. of, against a lot of new armies and, and stuff for me but yeah. Yeah. it is on the one hand like for me I just want to go and like have fun but on the other hand it's like well you don't want to play terribly, but if you're playing against people you don't know and armies you've never played against, it's really hard <laughs> not to make a fool of yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you think, Gareth? Have you kind of got your list in mind for the championship? Yeah, I mean, you know, to to see how many times I can say the word meta. <laughs> Go on, I think, okay. I think, I think the meta is still evolving. You know, we're, it's very early days yet, and so yeah. as as Paul mentioned there, Dan predicted the meta at the Masters quite well. Um, which I think is a hard thing to do, and it's very easy to miss the target as well. And so I guess, so in answer to your question, I haven't nailed down my list yet, um, partly because I'm going home to New Zealand for three weeks beforehand and I just have other things on my mind. Um, but, uh, yeah, I will I will certainly put a lot of thought into it, um, and some of that will be trying to deal with the uh, unique Falkirk and other parts of Scotland. <laughs> um, you know, I haven't I haven't been exposed to the Falkirk meta before. Oh, so it's gonna fucking blow your mind. It's gonna come out. <laughs> really cool, but uh, but uh, yeah, no. So I will. I, I have an idea of what I want to play, um, and it'll it'll probably be a lot faster and and looser than what I would typically play, um, just because yeah, I want to be able to take advantage of. Yeah, it's a singles tournament. It's not a team tournament. I want to be able to. I want to be able to try and push. Try and. Um, I think you're going to say take advantage of us. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's exactly what I want. Take advantage. Take advantage I of us. Take advantage of these noobs. Uh, yeah. All right, Gareth. <laughs> no, no, never, never. <laughs> oh, we'll have to organise a game. Have you played UD yet? I've not played UD. Not in that kind of way. So. We'll try and organize the games in and, and we'll, have a, we'll have a game. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So uh, 
because we've talked about kind of looking forward, like what makes, is there a difference between a good tournament list and a good just kind of list generally? And is there a difference between a good singles list and a, a good team team list? What do you guys think? In answer to that, is there a difference between a good team list and a good singles list? I think massively so. A lot less so, is there a good list between a tournament list and a non-tournament list? I mean, essentially, obviously, you know, if you're not playing tournaments, you're just having to try and find at the club or whatever, um, and, you know, maybe not trying not to roll people over, then, um, yeah, you obviously take more fun stuff and, like, try to get as many different things into a list as you can. But, uh, yeah, in terms of the difference between the two types of tournament lists, I think, um, I think hugely, uh, particularly as the size of the team grows. So in a four, in a four person team, you know, maybe you try and skew all of your lists in one direction so they can't be counted, uh, which is, I guess, similar to what we did at, uh, at mids. You know, we had four dragons and then, um, at Firestorm Fours the last year, the, um, my little four, four man team, we tried to take as many monsters as we could. And I think between the four lists, we had 10 monsters or something like that. Nice. So, you, you can you can skew it that way, um, but as the team gets larger, so an ETT, ECT, ETC team is eight people, you can't do that anymore. Um, it's too easy to counter, and um, yeah. it's just not possible to pull it across eight lists. Yeah. But uh, I think, yeah, the, the purpose of a list becomes narrower as the size of the team grows, basically. Okay. What do you think, Martin? Yeah, the same. Uh, an individual list probably is the best because you played in most of the phases, and uh, you master the list and whatever, but when you go to a team, you need to play a role, and you need to stick to that role, and you need to pay a lot of attention to your captain or the vice-captain or the guy that is covering all the tables. And yeah, it's really, really, really important because your team depends on you. And if you are... At least that you are going for a tie. Yeah, if you win, oh, that's great. But that was your role to hold that. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe your list is the most killing list in the world. But when they pair you against the dwarf list, hey, you are not going to win that by that far, <laughs> probably. So yeah, you need to. You need to maintain your role, keep your role, play it, and listen to your captain. Unless your captain's me, then just fucking ignore everything I say. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Everybody probably, yeah. <laughs> What was the team dynamic like when you guys went to Midlands? Oh, fucking atrocious, mate. Folk were asking me questions, and I was like, I don't know. No. <laughs> we had, um, we had a, a kind of game plan. I think we were a little bit, not to make excuses, but I'm going to make one anyway. We had <laughs> we had Siege, like, the day or, yeah, like, the week before uh, the list were submitted. So uh, Siege was a three-man event, and in a three-man event, everyone has to take, like, essentially balanced lists, really. Yeah. So, um, like, my list was copy and paste. Um, I took an extra mortar, I think, uh, rather than whatever... Or I took a cannon instead of the mortar, which I shouldn't have done because I fucking hate cannons. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we went into mids and, like, Andy was playing dwarves, so unsurprisingly told him to sit in a corner and not give anyone points. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ed wanted to try an all-night 
um, Ectane list. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. um, we kind of all sat down and we said, right, Ed, you're going to be our monster hunter. Um, <laughs> round one against the monster list, he got smashed. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that was his role. And to be fair, Ed, like, um, particularly, you played Leggy um, in the second round, who took the zombie dragon list and did very well against him, and he almost got him there. Um, so that list kind of worked. Um, and then there was Michael and I, and like I kind of just said that the thing that Empire were probably best at in 1.3 was anti-monster, or anti-armor, um, and Ed was kind of already our go-to for that, so um, I kind of just went more general, and with the idea that I'll kind of be more flexible and I can take anything. Um, and Michael, Michael plays Empire as well, primarily, um, or at that time it was primarily Empire. Um, so he kind of got stuck with orcs because Ed's got the army painted. So um, he was kind of the wild card, and I I don't know how Ed and Michael came up with that list in the end, but that's the list that Michael went with. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like to be fair, Michael, like, he got some really good results with that list. He got some not good results for that list, but I got not good results with my list, and I've been playing it for months. So, so yeah, I think we maybe should have taken into more of a like like Gareth was saying, um, a kind of team tactics account. But um, I think that was probably due to lack of prep, which kind of goes full circle to what we were talking about earlier, that yeah. we probably should have sat down much earlier than we did and kind of thought about what we wanted each list to do. Because I think that, that I mean, not to take away from any of the teams that beat us, but I think our, our pairing wasn't great at Midlands. And we didn't really have an excuse for that. And a lot of that was my fault, and I'll put my hand up for that. Um, and But I think that's an experience thing as well. Yeah, pairings is, is not easy. You know, particularly I think four man is is quite difficult. Four man events because you only have to be wrong once and you <laughs> probably screwed everything up already. Because at least in an in an eight man, you know, something can go wrong and then you can recover it. Yeah. What's really unfortunate is when you're wrong across five rounds every single time. <laughs> <laughs> That's when like I think Ed took the reins off me on day two. <laughs> He's like, oh, no more. <laughs> shame. shame. People go into tournaments for different reasons, right? I mean, like, you guys were approaching it as a fun experience. I don't think you were going down there to, like, we were going down to, like, kick everyone's ass. Like you say, you had just had Siege. I mean, you were kind of limited to what you could really do with the time that you had. And Michael was still getting to grips with that army, you know. So I think it depends on how you approach tournaments and what you're there to actually achieve. Like, if you're if you're in a bunch of, like, cohesive guys and you've all got good experience and you've been around the circuit and you know how things go. As a team, I mean, you're going to be a harder unit to crack. Mm, so yeah. I think I think it has a lot to do with the mindset of the team as well as skill level and why they're there. Like if they're there, if they're treating that as a, an opportunity for a GT, then they're going to be really hard to beat because they're going to have well-crafted lists. They're going to have a strategy between all four or five, how many people are on the team. So I think it is partly experience and Partly the intent, why they're there. Like I think, um, like like I said, I've, I've said this before, so I'm going to sound like I'm repeating myself. But like I'm more of a casual player, so when I'm at a tournament, I'm there to have fun. So Liar. if we were, if we <laughs> if we were approaching a any kind of tournament, then when I'm building my list, it's I want to make it as competitive as possible. I want to make it as balanced as possible. I want to bring things that I like on the table. I want to make sure everything's painted. So there's a lot of compromises there. Um, whereas someone who's got a lot more experience and is maybe playing the game longer, they're going to have a much more well-honed list that they're more experienced at using. 
they're just naturally going to be more difficult to beat. So, yeah, I kind of forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Get Radio, the most official and well-organized <laughs> podcast ever. No, I mean, I, I agree with you, though. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, your the original point there was that mindset plays a lot into it, and I think, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Okay, just out of interest before we, we move on, um, do you guys prefer playing singles or team events? I never play a team event. Oh, you've never so, played? Okay. No, but I want to because it's different. Yeah, yeah. It's quite different. Um, I'm absolutely teams. Um, I just find it so much fun, so much more fun playing with mates than I do playing by myself. Like it's just to me, it's not even it's not even close. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I just find the the social act. Like I got to a little bit of history. I um yeah I came here to the UK from New Zealand and I'd always been interested in Warhammer but you can't it's the scene in New Zealand is very small and it's very expensive and so I decided that when I got here I would you know give it a try and um you know like it was it was like the arrive in UK and you sort of got the uh, the friends starter pack kind of thing <laughs> uh, and then I just immediately made a bunch of really good mates. And so I think for me the social act aspect of one has always been a big thing, and um, yeah, yeah teams point. teams are the highlight of that, I would say. I yeah, agree. I think teams definitely looks more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thoroughly enjoy. Well, I played Siege in the Midlands though, and both of them, even though we got pumped in Midlands, um, I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed it because it is it's a good laugh, and even when things are going terribly, like you look to your pal who's on the table next to you, and he's getting pumped as well. <laughs> Especially you, when you are la- that way. Yeah, exactly. You have more fun. Yeah. I think uh, singles tournaments within like your own club are are kind of the balance to that because yeah, I think the opportunity for trash talk is, is pretty <laughs> high and everyone's <laughs> on the same page, so it's like fair game. So I think those events are still pretty fun, but I think for bigger things with maybe a lot of people that you're not used to playing against, I think it can feel a little bit more formal, and so I think that can somehow take away the fun yeah. aspect a little bit. But I think like everything else, once you get started and throwing dice around, I think everyone's pretty much on the same page yeah i agree i've just always i've always kind of been interested in that because um when dan who plays uh, for the durham guys when he came up to siege i played him last round and we had a really good time really good laugh mainly because we were just egging each other on all the way through and um after it when we we grabbed a drink after the event he was saying that he doesn't actually like team events because he feels that oh, wow. um he just feels that when he's playing he has to play to a role Whereas okay. he feels that he has more kind of flexibility in a, in a singles event because if he fucks up, it's on him. Whereas if he fucks up in a team event, then that's, you know, going to be felt across the team. So I just always kind of thought that was interesting because I'm like Gareth, like, I, there's not really a comparison. Like, I just love the social aspect. Um, especially like when we're lucky enough to have a club like we do where everyone gets along, everyone's pally. Yeah, um, you guys sound very good up there. Eh? Yeah. Very close. So, um, you know, even when shit was going really horribly at mids, it was you know it was funny. It was Still over. Fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So that's just a personal interest there. Just funny, just as a little aside to that, I, I seem to remember there was a a video that Chai Hammer had up. It was quite a few months ago now, but it was one of these ones where he was playing um, Universal Battle, and he was talking to oh the Sage of the North. What's his face? Hermanard. Hermanard. Oh yeah, Hermanard. Yeah. I, I seem to remember Hermanard saying that his kind of philosophy when it comes to tournaments like he's he's much more towards teams now like he's not really interested in kind of competing as an individual yeah um so i thought that was quite interesting 
And yeah, he's playing yeah, well, in the Norwegian Masters this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> they did crap, and they were all dressed like Vikings, so yeah, it was funny to look at them. They were dressed like that on the city center, you know, it's like... Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. that's what they came <laughs> I was with a friend, and yeah, they are probably playing in the ETC. <laughs> well, a little spoiler for everyone, um, we are getting Herman Ardon uh, in a couple episodes' time. So, Yay! Excellent. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Paul, do you have any questions you want to raise? Before we go on, we kind of touched on it here and there, but I would be curious to just ask a kind of general question, like to all three of you guys, like what is it about tournaments that appeals to you? Because there's certain people that are, are completely put off by it, and there's just certain tournaments they won't even entertain the possibility of going to for whatever reason. There's just something about it that doesn't appeal to them. So, what is it actually about going to a tournament that you know gets you so excited? Will I go first? <laughs> yeah, go first. Yes, I I love playing. Um, I. <laughs> Any excuse? Yeah, no, but well, basically, <laughs> yeah. Simple Yeah, I mean, um, I've said this before. Like, I, I play the hobby to play. Like, I am. I know there's guys that are really into painting, you know, really into modeling, really into the fluff or whatever. Um, but I, I just enjoy the game, the game mechanics. I love uh, having a joke with your opponent, you know, like us guys meeting up at the, the meetups at Common Ground and stuff like that, just having a good laugh and enjoying yourself so uh, the opportunity to get three or five games in a weekend is too good to pass up basically i've always been interested in that question as well because like for instance there's a couple guys that aren't playing the championship who have played in some of our previous tournaments which which i thought was quite interesting and basically they just don't want to play because they feel that it's going to be too serious for them that's a shame yeah. Yeah. where were you mark um uh, yeah basically the same as andrew i want to play I love the game. I love everything about the game. I love to assemble the models, painting them, thinking of lists, then actually playing it and throwing dice. When I, I was, I arrived at Scotland in November and I had to wait for a month or so <laughs> until my my models came, and I didn't have the dice either. So I I wanted to throw dice. You know, it's like uh, cold winter nights must have just dragged by. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I wanted to throw, yeah, with the dice and everything. Uh, no, but I love the game. Um, of course, when you get old, uh, you started to think, uh, oh no, I had to travel like 10 hours or so for a tournament. I don't want to. But for me, I'm old, but I still want to play it. Yes. We're always looking for guys to go down south, so that's good news. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can go to Midland if you go down yeah. south. <laughs> and I promise um, you, I'm going to pay attention to what you're saying. <laughs> At least for the first match. After the I mean, first no, round, probably I'm going to say no. No, no, we found out that actually people do better when they don't listen to me. So. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> what about you, um, Gareth? Yeah, just, I mean, for me, it's 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 not that. Um, I mean, I certainly love the game and stuff, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's the social aspect. It's I guess I I know quite a few of the people on the scene now, um, and then I have the group that I typically go to all tournaments with. And um, yeah, I mean for me it's it's seeing those boys again and hanging out, and even things like the car journey there, and um, you know dinners out on the Saturday night with like a big bunch of guys and stuff. Like I just I just really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, and obviously the games are great, you know. Like, um, but yeah, for me it's 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 probably more so the social aspect than anything. Awesome. So you're looking forward to March then? Oh, it's gonna be great. Yeah. I'd love to. Hey, I'm really excited to meet like yeah, all the all the Wildlings boys and stuff. And it's, it's it, yeah, I mean like I guess in 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 
response to that comment you just made about people being worried that it's too serious, like, I really wouldn't. Like, I mean, I know I was sort of messing around before by alluding to the fact that I'm going to bring, like, an army to, to run around with. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, at least from, you know, looking at the list that Felix has put up of who's coming and stuff, I would say there's no one on there who I wouldn't happily play. You know, like, there's no... There's no bad sports on that list of the of the names that I recognise. Um, you know, there's no one there that I would try and avoid. So, you know. if you had to choose one, who would you choose? <laughs> I'm gonna, hold on, I'm going to bring up the list now. This is, <laughs> this is serious. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> well, actually, no, I've never actually played, so yeah. I'm uh, keen for that. Well, according to Tommy Tucker, I'm a massive fucking sulk, so. Oh, <laughs> Tommy Tucker. Despite the fact that he didn't actually play me, the little bitch. <laughs> that's <laughs> the guy like that me. sent you the email. Last yeah, time. yeah. That's that's him. Okay, yeah. so probably today is going to be peace because of the <laughs> all non-English speakers. Yeah, so that's why we got both of you on, just to really fuck yeah. with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> nah, Tommy's a good guy. Um, is he coming? Uh, no, because apparently it's too far. Oh, okay. Where is he from? Bath. Oh my god, come on. <laughs> ah, boy, I came from Spain. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, so um, moving on to the final topic of the show. Um, I just wanted to ask you guys, like, what makes a good tournament for you? Like, because obviously this is going to be, we're kind of cheating here, Paul and I, because we want to get some info, because we've got, obviously got... Uh, we've got the championship in March, um, and then we're going to have Strife, which will be on the 14th of July. Uh, is that right, yep. Paul? 14th of July? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then um, we're going to have Siege, which is our team event, in October again. So Ooh. when you guys go to tournaments, like, what are the things that on your checklist that at the end of the day, when you come away from that tournament, you can say that you've had like a really great time? The people. Okay. For me, it's the people. Yeah. The, the social aspect there is also a must. I, I want to play, of course, but if, and if I win, yeah, much better. But the people. Cool. Gareth, what about you? Is it the same kind of idea? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard one to, to sort of say conclusively what makes a good tournament. I think, you know, recently something that's come up a lot is is the sort of hype that comes beforehand, and I think it's it's fallen out of the 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 publishing of lists before um, the event and the pairings and stuff, I think that is actually a very important aspect that people don't talk about, about what makes a tournament good. You know, it's, you know, Paul, you mentioned before that, uh, you know, shit talk is a, is a big part of your local tournaments. And that, that shit talk to me as well is a big part of, you know, wider tournaments and that, yeah, you know who you're going to play and who's got good lists, who's got bad lists. Like I think, and I, you know, I think, I think you really should be, if you're organizing a tournament, you should be pushing that out to at least, you know, two or three days. You know, you publish the lists two weeks before you publish pairings, you know, four days before. I think it's, I think that's very helpful. One thing, my pet peeve is always that food is always very unhealthy. So that's, uh, <laughs> maybe slightly healthier food at tournaments would be good. Yeah. And then just good management of bad players, I think. Yeah. Um, cause, you know, sadly there are some people in their, in their community who are perhaps not as, fun to play as others and you know a few tournaments recently there's been a few sort of you know people cheating and stuff like that and i just i i don't know why it's not treated more severely than it is you know just because it it ruins games for people and then yeah you get people who don't want to come to tournaments because they think people will take it too seriously or will run into a gamey player so yeah i I would 
those would be my three points. As as someone that's organised tournaments, I'd be really disappointed if I had run an event and I had found out that someone was actually cheating at it. Yeah. yeah. I think I think I would kind of step in there and I would slap me a cock. Um, maybe not initially. <laughs> That's more of a, warm more of a second warning. <laughs> no, but it's like it's it's good to know like what people like about tournaments. Like, I think the social aspect is so huge that you know you really want the community to really come out and support it. Um, yeah, the, like the foods. I mean, it's small things like that. It's like the attention to detail. Like, it's well managed. You know, it, it runs really smoothly on the day. Everything's been well thought out. The tables, the yeah, the, the, the tables. I think the venue kind of the venue, makes, yeah. makes it. You know, because like we're lucky, because like, common grounds, yeah, yeah it's, it's so good. Um, oh my god, yeah. And I think in the UK generally, like I've not really been to many other places, but like looking at photographs and stuff of other venues, I think a lot of the venues that get used regularly are really good, and I think that helps a lot build the scene, especially like, these, these big GTs. So yeah, it's interesting. Like I think for me, what makes a good tournament is is the, just the coming together of like the community and everyone just kind of being together and enjoying the game and everyone having a good time. And we've never had a two-day tournament yet, so that's something I'm really looking forward to at the GT in March. And it's something that I think I'd like to incorporate within our events in the future. But I think for us, it's just getting the community used to it. I think for some people, two days is quite a lot. Like um. I think the first time Guillermo played two or three games in a day, it looked like he wanted to melt. <laughs> yeah. That's so just think, Guillermo, you know, though, isn't it? <laughs> I think their stamina is definitely something that comes with uh, practice. <laughs> there's most things uh, there's so many jokes there. Sleep on. <laughs> okay. What about you, Andrew? What do you like? Yeah, I mean, same as you guys. Um, I mean, Siege has been the best tournament that I've gone to because of the people and because everyone had a good laugh. Um, we had players like Simon who um, previously weren't interested in playing tournaments, who came along, who played and who had a blast. Um, yeah. And I think a massive part of that was the people. And I think that no matter how shit you're doing, if you're surrounded by like good lads and you're having a good laugh, then it doesn't matter. I mean, it's always nice to win, obviously, but um, I think so much of it comes from exactly all the stuff you guys were saying. Um, it's nice when you see tournaments as well. Like I think for us, because we had kind of put some custom scenarios together and we had put a lot of work into that. I think it's nice when tournaments kind of go down that route. I think it's good to have a balance, so you have the more kind of competitive, where it's just straight up games and it's just about having a good time and, and see who's the best on the day. Uh, but also having these kind of like homebrew style ones. Yeah. I think that yeah. adds lots of it. And I think if when you turn up to a tournament, you know, if you get a nice pack, if you get like you know, if yeah. you know there's good prize support and stuff like that, that's just like the icing on the cake as well. So then that just something that's really good about tournaments. Yeah, yeah like they do in the USA. The, each individual tournament has a specific rules for a specific scenario or something different yeah. from the others. There was a recent one, wasn't there, where everyone got a, got a free giant? Yeah. I thought that was yeah. cool. <laughs> it's so random, but yeah. I like it. And really, there's no excuse um, for not making your tournament that little bit unique or like things like not making sure that the food's decent or not making sure that there's good prize support because a lot of the time, especially for prizes, folk are really eager to help you and support you. So it's really just about, yeah. from an organisational point of view, putting the, the time and the effort in, which, you know, it, it sucks for the organiser, but it's worth it on the day when everyone leaves happy. 
it's stupidly yeah. easy to get good prize support. Like, I mean, for the two tournaments that we've organized, we've had really good prize support. Yeah. Like, we've pro- combined, we've probably had involvement from eight, or eight to ten different companies. Wow. That, that's that's really good, eh? Given us products on the day, they've given us discounts, they've given us, you know, lots of different stuff. And, like, we're, me and, Miss, me and Ed are in the process of organizing uh, Strife for this year. Uh, okay. It's going to be in July, and already there's four companies that have said they'll give us stuff. Cool. So it's surprisingly easy. I think companies okay. like the involvement, and I think especially if you're kind of approaching the smaller companies, um, because yeah. they're kind of seeing it as a potential to, for more people to use their stuff. And I think that's one of the big advantages of the ninth age is because you've got so much flexibility in terms of where you can actually buy your minis from. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so before we wrap it up, um, the last thing I want to raise and get your opinions on is um, the notorious soft scores. So this is a topic that's kind of reignited recently, um, and a lot of people have been talking about it, and there was the whole debacle, well, not really debacle, but whole issue arising after the Masters last year about where we play soft soft scores and um, how many points they entail. So just kind of quickly really i just wondered if you guys had any strong opinions either way i think absolutely painting maybe not i don't even know if you need a soft score for it like painting points but uh absolutely like all models should be painted and it should be something that people are quite strict about i think just because it makes such a difference to how the game looks and how people enjoy it um i i really agree with that yeah so i definitely think um yeah either either soft scores for painting or certainly just uh, a black and white standard that you have to adhere to. Um, yeah, as as for points, like I mean, I I guess you know I'm not one of the like the top end guys that uh, you know it's it's all about what you do on the table. Like I've always thought that yeah, painting points are important and and sportsmanship points. You know, they're a good way to of yeah nudging the community in the right way that ideally they would they would do without needing to be nudged that uh you know mm. I, I think it helps so yeah i'm you know it's probably going to be an unpopular opinion but i'm very pro soft score i think okay that's interesting martin what do you think about it all i have mixed feelings because probably because of my armies are great but <laughs> <laughs> no, but no. For a serious tournament, I think that they should be all fully painted. Uh, the the game is not the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Points for sportsmanship. Uh, probably best in each uh, category for each army or uh, best good army, best bad army, stuff like that. But it's complicated to give them points for that. It's not as easy. Yeah. I, I think that uh, for the tournament organizers, it's not an easy choice. Yeah. Paul, what do you think? I think at a tournament, ultimately, whoever wins, it needs to come down to who is the better player. And I, I don't think you should ever have the situation where someone's won more points for their games, but they've lost because someone's won X amount of points for their painting. I think that's quite unfair. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I was thinking about this recently, just obviously because we've got this, our tournaments coming up, and I think I don't know if a better way of going about it is rather than giving points for like achieving a minimum painting standard, is just to take points away if you don't. Yeah. Hmm. 
yeah, um, that's that's quite that's quite smart actually. So just everything has to be painted minimum of three colours. If you don't, we're taking away five points because it, it ruins the immersion. And at the end of the day, that's why we're pushing miniatures around on top of the table. Yeah, that's why we're not just using bits of paper or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and with sportsmanship. Again, I think it's maybe easier to go down the route of just penalising people as opposed to giving flat points out to everyone. Because I think certainly in our community, we've never really had any issues with sportsmanship. So I think it makes more sense just to penalise the people that are taking the piss if and when it happens. And just having one prize for a base painted army, or if you've got the support, you could have multiple painting uh, categories, kind of like what they're doing at uh, Call to Paint. Uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be like three or four different prizes for different painting categories. Um, and then similarly with sportsmanship, you just have best sportsman. And that's just going to be a player vote on the day. I think that's just the easiest way to do it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, those are very good points. Yeah. yeah, I think that like I like the way we've done it in the past where they're completely separate. So you've got your game scores and that's ultimately what leads to who wins and who comes second, whatever. And then you've also got the side category of sportsmanship, which has no impact on the, the actual tournament standings, but is its own category and you can get a prize. And then you've got Peyton alongside that. Because I think that way, it's just, it's like you say, it's just the fairest. Um, I'm, I don't know about the, the taking points away or giving points because I'm, I'm kind of stuck because I 100% agree that I think if you come to a tournament, everything should be painted. Theoretically, like everything should be painted. Theoretically, yeah. Well, th- theoretically, yeah. <laughs> the three colors, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not really an excuse, I don't think. Um, but I, I'm very conscious I've got paint no CD, so I know that um, my opinion isn't everyone's. But then I also know that some guys are really, really busy and they they don't have the time to do it. So I always feel quite harsh taking points away from them whether that be them not getting points or getting points deducted anyway. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too soft. Maybe I need to be yeah. more hardline. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that answers that then. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's part of what makes a good tournament, right? Is, is trying to be as inclusive as possible. But I think you can take the stance where this is a paid event. And I think if I paid... Certainly for like a GT, if I paid 35 quid to go to a tournament and I'm playing against an army that hasn't been painted at all, yeah, I'm going to feel like that's shit. Like, Yeah, but sometimes it's better to be grey than <laughs> to be painted. I know some <laughs> guys in Spain that, yeah, well, no, 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 not because of that, because my, <laughs> my models that are painted are okay. But yeah. i seen on the, in the last ETC a lot of armies that were Crap! And they are, yeah, they were they were having three colors, but yeah, are horrible. See, it's funny, Martin, you say that because you've totally given me the idea that just to troll a kind of tournament by you know taking a, like a three painted army but just making it the most hideous three colors possible <laughs> and just having like three color illuminous pink, purple, and like some god awful color. Just painted in the no, Germany flag. <laughs> I'm going to vote against you. <laughs> <laughs> You're losing sportsman points. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that was all very interesting. Um, Paul, do you want to raise anything before we wrap it all up? Uh, no, not really. That was a really good conversation. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, thank you to Gareth and to Martin for coming on. Oh, no, no. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. No, it was great having you on. I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. Very no, fun to be here. 
Right, so to wrap everything up, um, Paul, do you want to go through upcoming events? Yes, so we've actually got a tournament on tomorrow, which is sold out, so you can't actually go to it, but I think it's fair enough to kind of give it its due and just say that the uh, Wandsworth work is on tomorrow. Are you going to that, Gareth? Um, no, so as I sort of alluded to earlier, like I'm, I'm off to New Zealand. Oh, um, right, okay. So, yeah. Because yeah. this, this is a... Uh, down in London ways? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Uh, I could ride my bike. So. so that's going on tomorrow. We've got the Art of War that's on the 17th and 18th of February. That's a big two-man, 60, sorry, two-day 60-man event done by the Bristol Ninjas. That's also sold out, but um, I'm hoping that they'll do some sort of live streaming or some sort of coverage for that because that sounds like it'll be a really good event. The next up is the Scottish Championships on the 10th and 11th of March in Stirling. That's yeah, buddy. Yeah, two-day event, five games, 4,500 points. Tickets are £28. Um, if you're interested in coming along, there's still some spaces. Uh, you can contact Felix or Ed, who are kind of orchestrating that event, uh, or just check it out in the forum. We've got Battle in the Castle, which is the 7th and 8th of April. That's at 40k Gaming in Colchester. That's a two-day event. Uh, it's five games at 5,000 points. Tickets are £25. This is actually like a totally custom tournament. So they've actually got um, in-house scenarios for each of the games. I like that. Which cool. looks pretty good. So there's one game where every unit on the table gets frenzy. Oh. I like that less and, now. And yeah. you, automatically, you automatically fail frenzy checks. Okay, all chickens. And uh, there was another one where both people can cast Wrath of God once in the game or something like that. Oh, so it's just totally bananas. But it does look quite fun. I don't think that actually anyone's signed up to it yet, so it's a bit of a shame. So if you're in that area, you should definitely check it out. English Championships are on the 14th and 15th of April. Uh, that's Element Games in Stockport. That's a 60-player max event, £38 per ticket. And that includes lunch for both days. And if you want to check that out, it's uh, Mikey Newman that's organising that. And the last one that's kind of coming up in the near future is Call to War and Call to Pain on the 5th and 6th of May at Firestorm Games in Cardiff. That's two days, £35 per ticket. That includes your lunch. Uh, I think they're currently sitting at about 25 players, so there's still about half the spaces uh, going, but I dare say that'll fill up fairly quickly. So if you're interested in checking that out, uh, you can head over to the forums and sign up. Beautiful. Right, so before we uh, call it to a close, if you want to get in contact with us, um, uh, give us any questions or any potential topics you can get us on twitter at scottish ninth age you can get us on facebook at um, scottish wildlings and you can drop us an email at scottishwildlings at gmail.com so just once again thank you very much to both our guests gareth and martin um our next show we're getting on um the incredible tim botnick of siege of Strivelin fame <laughs> and uh, we're also getting dr dan himself on and uh, we're hopefully going to talk about, leading on actually quite nicely from this episode, we're going to be talking about playstyles um, and about um, the army power scale or the tree, um, so I'm looking forward to that. But thank you again to our guests and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Take it easy guys. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Cheers.